the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A Kremlin spokesman refused to guarantee the safety of Americans captured in Ukraine. They should be held responsible for those crimes that they have committed. Chevron CEO is pessimistic about the U.S. building another oil refinery ever. My personal view is there will never be another refinery built in the United States. Athletes praise swimming's governing body's decision to protect the integrity of aquatic sports. I'm very proud of Thena for spending months and months and months talking to researchers. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Tuesday, June 21st. I'm Mike Scott. Russia's military machine pressed on in its effort to grind down Ukraine's defenses Monday as the war's consequences on food and fuel supplies increasingly weighed on the mines around the globe as warnings persist that the fighting could go on for years. Meantime, two American volunteers fighting for Ukraine were taken into detention by Russian-backed separatists in Donetsk after being captured last week, according to Russian state media. The U.S. State Department issued a statement calling on the Kremlin to live up to their international obligations in their treatment of any individual, including those captured fighting in Ukraine. However, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov told NBC News Monday international rules of war would not apply to two Americans that Russian forces captured in Ukraine, and he wouldn't rule out death sentences for the vets. They're soldiers of fortune, and they were involved in illegal activities on the territory of Ukraine. They were involved in firing and shelling our, our military personnel. They were endangering their life. They should be held responsible for those crimes that they have committed. Peskov also says that he can't guarantee that the Americans won't face the death penalty. No, I cannot guarantee anything. It depends on the investigation. U.S. citizens Alexander John Robert Drukey from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and Andy Tai Huynh from Hartzell, Alabama, were interviewed by Russia's RT channel at a detention center in the so-called Donetsk People's Republic. The two Americans went missing on June 9 during a battle north of Kharkiv, and it was feared that they may have been captured by Russian forces, according to families and a fellow fighter. CNN caught up with another American who was with Druki and Wynn at the battle where they were captured. A former U.S. serviceman, he was in the same battle as Alex Druki and Andy Wynn when they went missing in action. He fears Russian reprisals in Ukraine and beyond and wants his identity and voice hidden. He uses the code name Pip. Pip says that he saw a report on Russian television about his friends being captured and hopes they are still alive. I wish I could say with 100% certainty that it's not a fake, but I'm, I have a lot of hope that it's them. Pip 
explains what happened the day his comrades were captured by Russian forces. The team was sent out on a mission on the 9th, and they showed up in the area of operations, and a full-scale Russian armored assault was underway. A hasty defense was set up. Two anti-tank teams were set up. Alex and Andy fired an RPG at a BMP that was coming through the woods and destroyed it. A T-72 then turned its turret and fired upon them, drove a few more meters forward, and hit the anti-tank mine that our Ukrainian officer had placed. We suspect they were knocked out by either the T-72 tank shooting at them or the blast of the mine. When Pip was asked if he regretted coming to Ukraine to fight, he had this to say. Well, if you have no military background, if you don't have any combat experience, if you expect to come here with air support, intense helicopter support, then stay home because that is not the case. It is the Russian army, and they have massive amounts of artillery. They have massive amounts of armor, and the Ukrainians are giving it their damnedest. Did you make the right call? I'll admit to questioning it once in a while, but I think yes. For those captured by Russia, that answer may no longer be quite so positive. Admiral James Stavridis joined the Hugh Hewitt Show discussing the latest on the war in Ukraine. Is this a frozen war? Um, I think on the land side, it is. I think we're going to see this 600-mile line of trenches. There'll be artillery back and forth. But the idea of a big breakthrough on either side, unlikely. Final thought, um, if you're looking for breakthrough or something new that's coming, Uh, You know, the admiral's going to say this, look to the sea, look for a solution to the grain that's bottled up in Ukraine. It's got to get out to the world markets or there's going to be major food security challenges globally. We have to come up with a plan to get that grain out. I think that's the next big muscle movement here. Stavridis believes that Vladimir Putin does not have the ability to fight his way back to Kiev. Is it a a worrisome moment for the Ukrainians? Absolutely. And it has been now for four months. Um, They have been in a worse situation up north, in my view. Um, Now they're they're fighting hard. And you see Putin doing this kind of pincer movement from the north and the south toward the center of that line. He may succeed at some point in consolidating that line. But I think the bottom line here is I don't think he has the combat power to break through and and slash his way back up to Kiev. I I think this is going to end up static with the possible uh, exception of Putin consolidating the center of that 600-mile front. Iran admitted to what the world suspected when a top official acknowledged that a mysterious explosion last month at a military research center was no accident. The May 25 explosion at a facility in Parchin that killed one engineer and injured another was attributed to a drone attack by Western media. It followed the assassinations of key defense officials and other clandestine efforts to impede the Islamic Republic's alleged efforts to develop nuclear weapons. But at the time, Iran's Ministry of Defense insisted the explosion was an accident. On Monday, Iranian media outlets quoted Imam Hussein, a university president, attributing the explosion to industrial sabotage. Heinz Gertner is a political scientist with the International Institute for Peace and says that after the attack, Iran is moving its production facilities. 
It is true that uh, Iran informed the IEA, and it was uh, clear that uh, after the attack on uh, Karach, uh, Iran would uh, move uh, its production facilities uh, to another location, and in that case... Gertner goes on to say that Iran actually fears another strike. We had all these attacks uh, in the past against uh, Iranian nuclear scientists, against nuclear facilities in Natanz in April, and uh, then also on uh, Karaj. So uh, Iran is doing something uh, about these threats. Canada pledged to spend over $30 billion over the next two decades to help detect and track military threats from Russia and China in the Arctic. This would deliver on a promise to the U.S. to modernize its capabilities and help defend the continent as part of the North American Aerospace Defense Command, or NORAD. Canadian officials say the threat to the North has escalated following Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February. Former military commanders say Russia now has the ability to sustain military operations across the high Arctic, given their recently refurbished military installations across its northern coast. Canada's Defence Minister Anita Aaron praised the collaboration between the U.S. and Canada. Recently, the Prime Minister and I visited NORAD headquarters in Colorado and saw firsthand the unparalleled collaboration between the Canadian Armed Forces and the American Armed Forces. Our military members work together, train together, and live together on both sides of the world's longest undefended border. Arand also says the threat from autocratic regime shows that Canada must modernize NORAD's capabilities. NORAD has continually adapted and evolved in response to new threats. Today, we turn another page and begin NORAD's next chapter. As autocratic regimes threaten the rules-based international order that has protected us for decades, and as our competitors develop new technologies like hypersonic weapons and advanced cruise missiles, there is a pressing need to modernize Canada's NORAD capabilities. Arand announced that Canada will invest to modernize NORAD for the future. Today, I am here to announce that Canada is investing $4.9 billion over the next six years to modernize our continental defences and to protect Canadians from new and emerging threats. This is the most significant upgrade to NORAD from a Canadian perspective in almost four decades. FINA, the International Swimming Federation, announced its new gender inclusion policy that only permits swimmers who transitioned before the age of 12 to compete in women's events. The policy comes after University of Pennsylvania swimmer, now known as Leah Thomas, made headlines for dominating on women's teams as a transgender athlete while formerly competing as a male, raising questions of fairness. Many scientists determine that transgender women athletes 
who went through typical male puberty during adolescence, still hold a competitive edge over their biologically female competitors. Former Olympic gold medalist and Title IX advocate Donna DiVarona applauded FINA's move for approving a new policy that would limit the participation of transgender women from competing in high-level women's swimming events. DiVarona joined Fox News to discuss her feelings about the move from FINA. Verona says it's not just about swimming laps in a pool. Uh, when you think about swimming, um, you think just up and down the pool, but FINA also uh, oversees water polo, which mm -hmm. is a, a game of strength and power and force. Um, you're talking about diving. You're talking about synchronized swimming. Mm -hmm. uh, you're talking about marathon swimming. De Verona says that FINA took the time to discuss the matter with scientists and researchers before making the decision. I'm very proud of FINA for spending months and months and months talking to researchers, mm -hmm. looking at science-based peer review research on the impact of uh, puberty on um, male bodies and what impact that would have if you're trying to uh, mitigate your high testosterone and if you could ever do that. Um, they consulted Olympians, they consulted researchers and coaches, and they're the, first, the second, actually. Uh, World Athletics also has a policy to step up and come up with a policy. Deverona goes on to explain that biological women are still struggling to achieve what Title IX has promised. During those Olympics, when I worked for ABC and called all the races, mm -hmm. I watched uh, the East German swimmers who've been pumped with testosterone destroy our women's team, and the press said our athletes were spoiled, and many of those women are still suffering from having to compete in an uneven playing field. And as we now celebrate 50 years of Title IX, the promise of mm -hmm. Title IX still hasn't been um, realized. We lose out as women over a billion dollars of support in our uh, institutions in the way of scholarships, coaching, accommodations, and recruiting dollars. So the promise of Title IX is still not here, and now we have another uh, debate. Deverona is satisfied right now with the decision by FINA. My feeling is every kid should have sports. Yeah. Uh, we don't have enough opportunities for our kids in schools, and there are sports where there's no barrier to entry. But swimming has been very definitive in what mm -hmm. they've done, and they've taken their time, and I'm very proud of them. According to new Guttmacher data, the abortion rate increased about 7% between 2017 and 2020. The increase was fairly widespread as 28 states reported an increase in the abortion rate over this time period. This new information comes as many corporations brace for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Several major U.S. companies, including Apple, Citigroup, and Yelp, have taken public stances in support of abortion care and promised to cover employees' travel expenses to access the procedure. Jerry Boyer, editor at Town Hall Finance and host of the Meeting of the Minds podcast, says that businesses should keep their noses out of the abortion debate. A leaked memo revealed that it is quite likely that in the Dobbs case, the Supreme Court will overturn Roe versus Wade, restoring the abortion question to the voters. Having lost the political and now the legal debate, the abortion brigades are now trying to coerce corporations into pressuring states to ignore the will of the voters, or else be punished economically by our new corporate masters. As an investor, and also as a financial professional, let me be crystal clear to America's boardrooms. Stay out of it. 
you have neither the moral authority, the constitutional expertise, nor the assigned role of undermining the sanctity of life. Every sector of our economy is currently being hurt by an aging demographic that results partly from the abortion revolution almost 50 years ago. Companies need to stick to the things that they're competent at and leave the voters in the states to decide their own policies without the threat of economic blackmail. Chevron CEO Mike Wirth does not expect another oil refinery to be built in the United States ever again, all due to federal government policies. The last significant refinery built in the U.S. was in 1976. Over the last two years, due to reduced demand from the pandemic and President Biden's stated policy to reduce demand for petroleum products, U.S. refineries have been shut down or repurposed to become biofuel refineries. The Chevron CEO said that even if he wanted to pump more oil today, he wouldn't be able to. I couldn't pump more today. The, the incentives today are to pump as much as you can. And in um, the decisions that lead to today's activity were made two years ago. And uh, there are lead times in all of these things. It's land uh, work, it's permitting, it's roads, it's infrastructure, uh, it's uh, drilling rigs, completion crews. There's a lot that goes into planning and executing uh, production growth. Uh, last year was the highest year of production in the history of our company. First quarter of this year, we were up 10% versus first quarter a year ago. So we're doing our part to meet this growing demand, but it's not instantaneous. It requires uh, a, a, a longer lead time, even in the short, shorter mm-hmm. cycle portion of our activity. It, it doesn't happen quickly. Worse says that profits or the price of oil does not influence their activity. The price of the day doesn't influence our, our uh, capital decisions and, uh, and our activity. We, we have a long-term view on supply, demand, markets, technology, policy, and that's what sets our capital spending. Uh, we've been very disciplined with our capital spending. We've laid out a plan to our shareholders that says within a, a pretty narrow range of capital activity, we can grow uh, cash flow, we can improve returns, and our production will also grow. And so we're on that path, and we've stayed on that path. Um, and, and executing that with discipline is, uh, is really important for companies. Companies, uh, like ours. And so to, to deviate from that because the price today is higher, the price two years ago was low, uh, is really not how we run our business. We see our way through cycles. It's always been a cyclical mm-hmm. business. And, um, and so we continue to take a longer view on how we set activity. Worth goes on to say that refineries are shutting down all over the world. But you're right about these, these bottlenecks in refining. Uh, we've seen refineries close. When, when I began my career, there were more than 250 refineries in the U.S. Today, there's half that number. Uh, and we've seen uh, refineries close around the world. Uh, we've seen China uh, stop exporting products. Obviously, Russia exports uh, have, have diminished as well. And so many of the sources of product uh, you know, that, that normally flow into markets uh, have, been, have been constrained. The Chevron CEO says oil company CEOs are getting mixed messages from politicians right now. It puts the industry in a difficult spot uh, because building a refinery is a multi-billion dollar investment. It may take a decade. Uh, We haven't had a refinery built in the United States since the 1970s. My personal view is there will never be another refinery built in the United States. Uh, But you're you're looking at committing capital uh, 
10 years out that will need decades in which to uh, offer a return to our shareholders in uh, a policy environment where governments uh, around the world are saying we, we don't want these products uh, to be used in the mm-hmm. future. And so uh, there really is a dilemma. We receive mixed signals uh, in um, these policy discussions. And my message would be uh, we need to sit down and have an honest uh, conversation, uh, a pragmatic and balanced conversation about the relationship between energy and uh, economic prosperity, national security, and environmental protection. We need to recognize that all of those matter, and and we can't over-index on just one. Stephen Moore, FreedomWorks senior economic contributor, joined the Salem Radio Network and said President Biden's policies are to blame for the worldwide energy crisis. He flipped the switch when he came into office. He turned the the power off by, you know, the, the... canceling the pipelines and and taking all the oil and gas leases away and all this stuff. And so, I don't know, I just, there's a sense of things kind of out of control in this White House right now. Moore compares gas prices from when President Trump left office to today under President Biden. These are just the facts, folks. But the, uh, the month that Donald Trump left office, the price of gasoline was about, about $2.40 a gallon. Today, nationwide, it's $4.85 a gallon. So do the math there, Joe. That means we've doubled the gas price in 15 months. Meantime, President Biden says he's considering a pause in the federal gas tax. Daybreak Insider's White House correspondent Greg Clugston joins us and takes a look at the numbers. With gas prices nationwide averaging just under $5 a gallon, the president said he's considering a federal holiday on the gasoline tax, and a decision could be coming in a few days. Well, I hope I have a decision based on data I'm looking for by uh, by the end of the week. He spoke to reporters after taking a walk along the beach with family in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. The federal gas tax is 18.4 cents a gallon and helps to pay for highways. Greg Clugston, Washington. Some good news coming to a gas pump near you? Well, maybe. Across the globe, drivers are rethinking habits and personal finances amid skyrocketing prices for gasoline and diesel. Energy prices are a key driver of inflation that is rising worldwide and making the cost of living overall more expensive. GasBuddy.com's Patrick DeHaan believes there may be some relief around the corner. With the large decline in the price of oil and wholesale gas prices, we could see gas prices continuing to decline heading into the July 4 holiday. In fact, it's possible the national average could fall another 10 to 20 cents a gallon between now and July 4, should things go right. DeHaan also says as the economy slows due to a rise in interest rates, oil prices may fall as well. The concern being that a jump in interest rates could cause the economy to slow down or to tip into recession, and it's that fear that's driving oil lower. And finally, to be or not to be. An Omaha couple have been planting bee-friendly flowers outside of their home, but they never expected the bees to just move in. Daybreak Insiders, Jason Walker has the buzz on this story. 
A couple in Omaha, Nebraska could hear buzzing when they put their ears to the walls of their 100-year-old home. Thomas and Mary Lou Gutierrez finally called the Omaha Bee Club and had 6,000 bees removed from the walls. The bad news? Well, they were charged 600 bucks to remove the bees. The good news? They were actually able to taste some of the honey the bees had made before the critters were safely removed. Jason Walker reporting. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.